This is Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. The opinions voiced in Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, a registered investment advisor. Good Saturday morning. Dick Donahue with you, Wealth Advisor, CFP, Certified Financial Planner, I guess I should say, Credit Investment, Fiduciary, all those nice things. Going to start out with our weekly wrap for this week, and the week started on a more upbeat note following last week's losses. The market logged some gains in the first half of the week as participants awaited key economic data and the FOMC policy decision on Wednesday. Some merger and action Act, merger and acquisition activity on Monday, highlighted by Amgen acquiring Horizon Pharmaceuticals and Thoma Brava acquiring Coupa Software, uh, helped fuel the early positive bias. In addition, the November Consumer Price Index came in cooler than expected on Tuesday, which added fuel to the buying efforts on the notion that a welcome moderation in headline inflation should convince the Fed to temper its pace of its rate hikes and perhaps place a lower ceiling on its terminal rate. The knee-jerk buying brought the S&P 500 above its 200-day moving average. At their interday highs on Tuesday, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 707 points, or 2.1%. The NASDAQ Composite was up 428 points, or 3.8%. And the S&P 500 was up 110 points, or 2.8%. Those gains, however, were eventually reined in due to a large degree, and while the major indices registered gains for the session, they closed well off those highs in a disappointing finish. Ultimately, the S&P 500 fell below its 200-day moving average by Tuesday's close. A deeper look at the CPI readings revealed a sticky and elevated core services number that forced investors to rein in their enthusiasm in front of the FOMC policy decision. Excuse me. The release of an updated summary of economic projections and the Fed Chair Powell's press conference on Wednesday. The major indices regrouped in early action on Wednesday, logged some decent gains in front of the FOMC announcement. Things changed abruptly, however, in the wake of the decision to raise the target rate for the Fed range by 50 basis points to four and a quarter to four and a half percent and an indication in the summary of economic projections that the median estimate for the terminal rate in 2023 had been raised to 5.1% versus the September projection of 4.6%. The vote to raise the Fed funds rate was unanimous. Separately, it was announced that the Fed will continue to let $60 billion of Treasury securities and $35 billion of agency mortgage agency mortgage-backed securities roll off of its balance sheet each month. The so-called dot plot showed 17 of 19 Fed officials with Fed funds rate forecasts above 5% in 23, and two of the 17 had their dots above 5.5%. On balance, this was a hawkish-minded package that did not meet the market's more hopeful expectations for a conciliatory Fed. Fed Chair Powell spent most of all of his press conference talking tough on the need to get inflation back down to 2%, saying it is going to take substantially more evidence to give confidence that inflation is on a sustained downward path and that the Fed expects it to sit on its terminal rate for some time. He eventually added that while he thinks the Fed's policies are getting close to the level of sufficiently restrictive, the Fed's focus is not on rate cuts Hence, there are not rate cuts in the summary of economic projections for 23. Strikingly, the stock market made a noticeable rebound while the Fed chair was speaking, as did the Treasury market. The U.S. dollar index, meanwhile, faded back to a level that was lower than where it was before the announcement. The, um, the action in the stock and bond and currency markets suggested the market participants didn't think the Fed will have the runway to take off at a terminal rate that is north of 5%.
The reason being is that there is an underlying expectation or fear that the lag effect of the prior rate hikes is going to undercut the economy enough to preempt a move to the elevated levels envisioned in the latest summary of economic projections. Still, the indices faded to, into the close of the day and saw continued selling over the remainder of the week. Undercut by a large concern that the Fed was over-tightened and the trigger to, to trigger a deeper economic setback. Price action in the Treasury market this week was another manifestation of those Fed, of, of those Fed over-tightening and recession-related fears. The two-year note fell 14 basis points to 4.2%, and the 10-year note fell 9 basis points to 3.48%. Thursday's session was dominated by a slate of rate hikes from other central banks, namely the European Central Bank, the Bank of England, the Swiss National Bank, the Norges Bank, Hong Kong's Monetary Authority also raised its benchmark rate. Those moves coincided with the release of disappointing retail sales and industrial production data out of both China and the U.S., which exacerbated investors' concerns about a global economic slowdown. The Dow Jones, the NASDAQ, the S&P 500 declined 764 points. The, okay, the Dow is down 764 points. The NASDAQ down 360, and the S&P was down 99, respectively, during Thursday's retreat. The direct connection to stock prices is that 23 earnings estimates are, increased, uh, are, are at an increased risk for downward revisions. Hence, there is misgiving about current valuations. The same mentality prevailed on Friday's quadruple watching options expiration day. Broad-based selling interest saw the S&P 500 breach support for its 50-day moving average. In brief, the S&P 500 declined 5% from where it was at the head of the FOMC decision on Wednesday to its closing level on Friday. And 10 of the 11 S&P 500 sectors lost ground this week. The heavily weighted information technology down 2.7%. Consumer discretionary down 3.6. They were the sectors with the most notable laggards. Meanwhile, the energy sector was up 1.7%, and that was the lone area in the green light this week by Friday's close. So for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 9.4%. The NASDAQ is down 31.6% for the year. The S&P 500 index is down 19.2%, and the Russell 2000 index is down 21.5%. And again, a reminder that we cannot directly invest in those indexes. Let's talk about initial jobless claims and we high-frequency data. Uh, we saw 211,000 jobs, uh, initial claims on December 9th. That was an increase, of, a decrease of 8.7%. Continuing claims as of December 2nd, 1,671,000. That was an increase of one-tenth of 1%. Box office receipts took another big week, another big hit for the week ending the 15th, down 13.3%. Rail car traffic as of December 9th increased slightly to 1%. Steel production as of December 12th was up three-tenths of 1%. Hotel occupancy for the week of the 4th to the 10th of December was up 7.6%. Restaurant industry as of 15th was down 1.1%. TSA checkpoint as of the 15th, 2,088,238 passengers a day for the week. That was a 3.9% increase. Supply of motor gasoline was down 1.2%. And global commercial flights as of December 15th, 101,832 a day. That was an increase of 1.8%. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up Live here on KGMI. We'll be back shortly. This year, you should give your family the peace of mind that comes with a comprehensive estate and retirement plan. Hello, folks. This is Elder Law Attorney Phil George. I'm the host of The Aging Hour right here on KGMI every Saturday at 1 p.m. and the founder of Safe Harbor Legal Solutions. Do you want to make sure your family doesn't have to go through probate if you pass? Do you want to avoid death taxes? Do you want to have a plan in place that will reduce or remove the burden on your family if something should happen to you? At Safe Harbor Legal Solutions, we practice a comprehensive and collaborative approach to estate and retirement planning that will help you set your family up for success. Don't let another year go by without getting your planning in order. Learn more by joining me for a free seminar in Bellingham on Saturday the 7th of January at 11 a.m. We'll be at the Spring Hill Suites by Marriott on Northwest Avenue. Space is limited, so reserve your spot today at www.safeharborlegal.com. That's www.safeharborlegal.com or by calling 360-746-7169. That's 360-746-7169. 
Dr. John's Auto Clinic, located in Bellingham on Kentucky Street, is here for your auto repair and service needs. Trusted and affordable auto repair in Bellingham for over 25 years. Ask about their oil change and maintenance inspections. You can hear Brian from Dr. John's Auto Clinic every Saturday on In the Shop on Newstalk 790 KGMI. Or check out Dr. John's Auto Clinic at djautoclinic.com. And on Facebook for the latest in auto repair news. Dr. John's Auto Clinic, reliable, honest, and a part of this community for over 25 years. We don't have the usual traffic jams that they have in the big city. But sometimes, things happen to snarl everything up. Depend on KGMI to keep you cruising to your destination with KGMI Traffic Alerts. We'll tell you where the trouble spots are. And if you see problems on the road, give us a call at 360-676-5464 so we can spread the word. KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM and KGMI.com. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. And I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. And I won't forget the men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly stand up. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you this Saturday morning. We're Asset Advisors. We are located out on the Pacific Highway. That's old Highway 99 for those that don't know that. And we're out in the Pacific Commerce Center next to Wilson's Furniture. Our address is 5060 Pacific Highway, Suite 101, Ferndale, 98248. And our phone number again, 360-733-1200. And check out our website at wealthwakeup.com. You can go on there under podcasts, and you can hear these shows or replays for these shows in case you miss us. So just as a little FYI, and under Insights, you can go under and we post a lot of week, our, a lot of information during the week. Our research team does information on uh, a lot of the market outlooks and things like that. So there's some interesting stuff every week that's kept up to date under Insights, and that's at wealthwakeup.com. Well, it's getting down close, but we still got a couple of weeks, so we're going to throw this in here. Let's talk about a few year-end tax and financial planning opportunities. So, you know, in 21, there was a significant amount of uncertainty about the tax law. We didn't know whether President Biden's sweeping tax proposals would pass. There were some of them that were really, we thought, very interesting and also very scary. But as we sit down to gather our thoughts for year-end planning of this year, it strikes us how much of last year's proposed changes did not come to pass. And the reality right now is we continue to have historically low interest rates, and federal, federal tax rates at least, I should not interest rates, but federal low tax rates, and various planning opportunities that are available. So let's talk about a few of those. You know, year-end planning for retirees provides a chance to identify available avenues to think strategically, lower your taxes for this year, for next year, and maybe for your lifetime. So number one, consider tax loss sales. At year-end, tax loss selling may work to your benefit. When you have a year like we've had this year, where markets have been down sharply, you may very well have positions in your taxable accounts that are now at a loss. And if you sell any losing holdings in your portfolio, those losses can be used to offset equivalent amount of capital gains. So if you have more losses and gains, you can also take up to $3,000 annually to offset income. So you can take that additional $3,000. Your losses don't expire if they're not used in the year that they were harvested. Over time, good planning can help you amass your war chest of losses, and you can utilize them strategically to offset gains in the future, allowing for tax-free income. So in harvesting losses, however, be aware of what we call wash sale rules, where you can't buy back the same stock within 30 days. And then number two, keep an eye on your mutual fund and capital gains distributions. You know, if you hold mutual funds in a taxable account, keep in mind that even if your accounts are down in value for the year, you could potentially end up owing taxes on capital gains distributions. Even though you may not have sold anything yourself, the fund may have sold positions internally and realized a gain. This means you can be hit with a tax bill for the fund's capital gain distributions. So one way you can plan for this is call the fund. If you see that you have an estimate of capital gains distributions for this year, most should have those by now. Another way to avoid capital gain distribution is to sell the fund prior to the record date, which would mean you sold it before they paid a distribution. But be aware that dates matter here. Lastly, to avoid the tax bill on passed along gain, 
you can offset the gain with any losses you may have harvested, as we talked about with taking tax loss harvesting. Little hint, consider holding mutual funds inside your retirement accounts where capital gain distributions aren't going to be subject to tax. Hold more efficient investments such as individual securities or index funds inside your taxable accounts to avoid large taxable surprises at the end of the year. As far as those funds going ex-dividend or having paid dividends, most of the funds will have paid their dividends by now, but it is something you can check on. The third thing is Roth conversions. With a Roth IRA, qualified distributions provide tax-free income. Any earnings are tax-free, and there are no RMDs or required minimum distributions during the original owner's lifetime. Partial Roth conversions allow you to get more of your assets into a forever tax-free side of your balance sheet. If you're unable to contribute to a Roth IRA during your working years due to this income limits, know that there are no such limits on Roth conversions. Neither is there a requirement for earned income like there is for Roth contributions. So making them worth analyzing for retirees. And Roth conversions do not have to all, all be done. They can't doesn't have to be all or none. You can do a partial conversion if you choose to. And with a Roth conversion, you transfer money from a traditional IRA into a Roth. This causes, an, this causes an immediate tax liability. So when you do that conversion, you are going to have to pay taxes on it. However, when you're looking at the year like 22, with markets that have declined more than 15% on average, converting while accounts are down in value will allow future appreciation on the conversion to be forever tax-free. But like anything related to retirement accounts, consider it carefully. Doing partial Roth conversions effectively requires the understanding of your current tax bracket and your estimated future tax bracket and what it may be. Forward-looking planning by us, and we can help you with this. We have a program. We can actually go in and stick your uh, account values in, and we can scan your tax return that you have, and we can go in and help do some what-ifs for you. So you can always give us a call. We're happy to run those type of things for you. Uh, the next thing, the fourth, number four here, is to max out all your retirement savings opportunities. Have you already maxed out your contribution to 401k? You believe you have no additional opportunity to plan for in this year, but you can defer up to $20,500 in your 401k, your 403b, your 457. Plus, if you're over age 50, you can put away additional $6,500. This limit includes your pre-tax contributions to the traditional 401k and any Roth contributions on the Roth side. So anyway, if you're over 50, that that means that you can put away a total of almost twenty-seven. You can put away a total of twenty-seven thousand dollars. But there is something that higher-to-income earners may want to consider if they would like to place for additional savings. Some plans let you exceed the twenty thousand five hundred dollar limit with after-tax contributions. If your plan allows you to contribute after-tax money, not to be confused with Roth conversion, they are subject to the contribution limits. So again, you do have. Uh, Roth contributions are subject to the same limits, but if you have, you can put away after-tax money in the plan. Um, the IRS limit for 22 was $61,000 and $67,500 if we're over age 50. This total includes the sum in all matches, profit sharing, employee contributions, and after-tax contributions. And if you contribute additional dollars with after-tax contributions, you may have access to a mega backdoor Roth strategy. What this means is you take that after-tax contributions that are made, you move those over into the plan, and then you move it on to the Roth side of your 401k if it's allowed. And this occurs, this, this incurs an immediate tax liability, but essentially you're moving that money that uh, you paid the taxes on the after-tax amount, and now you're moving it over there where it can grow tax-free in the future. So that is something to really take a look at. And then cash flow strategies. As you do your year-end planning, it's also the perfect time to develop a cash flow strategy for the upcoming year. Look ahead on how to determine now how to, much you're going to withdraw from your portfolio and from your account types that you'll withdraw from. Keep in mind that the ideal way to reduce your tax burden might be to withdraw from multiple account types. You may want to mix it up, take money out of the Roth, take money out of taxable, take money out of tax deferred. The trick is to be strategic. Developing a plan of source of your income in the most efficient manner possible, both from short-term planning perspective as well as long-term planning, allows you to control other taxes that are unique. So one thing we talk about, talk about doing Roth conversions, generally we're not going to sit and suggest that you will do a Roth conversion on money that you're going to need in the short term. You're probably better off in many cases to 
not do that Roth conversion. The other thing to look at is if you're under age 72, which is the required minimum distribution age, you may want to try to do Roth conversions up till that time. You may even want to delay your Social Security to age 70, as an example, or later. And I will talk about that again here in a minute, a little idea that I just saw this week I thought was fairly, fairly interesting. Uh, but the bottom line is your year in tax planning from both short-term and long-term perspective, will allow you to minimize your tax burden as a retiree and make the most of what you have for your lifetime and beyond. So uh, I'm going to talk about the security real quick. Saw a little bulletin come out this week, was talking about somebody that was going to turn age 70, decided because they turned 70 in the second half of the year that they were going to delay taking their Social Security until after they turned age 70. And the reason for that is that they were able to push that money over into the next tax year. So in this example that I saw, the person had a December birthday. And so they said, hey, you know, if I wait until wait to file for my Social Security until until January of 23, I can do that in the process. They also will get the back Social Security since they turned age 70. So if a person worked this year, for example, they had that income coming in, and, and so it's something to keep in mind in the future. You're getting down close to that end of the year, and you've got income coming in, and maybe you want to go ahead and delay taking your Social Security until the next year. Again, something you can give us a call about. Dick Donahue with you. Give us this three. With live, well, wake up live. We'll get out of here. Take a break. Thank you. Tis the season to save during DeWard and Bodie's annual year-end savings event on now. And this weekend, they're launching a three-day sale just in time for the holidays. Friday through Sunday, purchase qualifying in-stock appliances, barbecues, and mattresses, and DeWard and Bodie will install before Christmas. Now is the time to get end-of-season savings on closeout appliances, floor models, one-onlys, and slightly blemished appliances. Score year-end deals on a huge selection of laundry sets, refrigerators, wall ovens, cooktops, ranges, and so much more. Plus, mattresses, adjust bases, boxes, pillows, and sheets. Purchase by Sunday for your last chance to get guaranteed installation before Christmas on select in-stock products while availability lasts. Keep your holiday cash and pay no money down in no interest for up to 18 months on qualifying appliances and up to 72 months on qualifying mattresses. Shop in confidence with DeWard and Bodie's 30-day local price match guarantee on qualifying in-stock items. Don't miss the year-end savings three-day sale at DeWard and Bodie in Bellingham and Burlington. Financing OAC qualifications apply. Ready to put some skin in the game? The only sports book north of Snohomish County is now open at Silver Reef Casino Resort. Get in the game with baseball, football, basketball, hockey, and your other favorite sports. Visit Portage Bay Sportsbook and Bar and place your bets today. Sportsbook open daily at 9 a.m. Betting kiosks open 24 7. Silver Reef Casino Resort, located off I 5, exit 260. We've got that. At Silver Reef Casino Resort, we've got that. Escape the hustle and bustle of the city and get ready for a fun and relaxation-filled getaway. Luxury hotel rooms? Yep. Championship golf? Mm-hmm. Top-rated casino with all the best slots and table games? Yes and yes. World-class dining at the region's best and Wine Spectator award-winning steakhouse? Yes, please. The total package is only missing one thing. You. Silver Reef Casino Resort. Located off I-5, exit 260. We've got that. There's a lot going on right now, and broadcasters are on the ground covering all of it, bringing you the weather, the traffic, and breaking news, all while entertaining you 24 hours a day. Someone needs to tell you what's going on around the world and in our hometowns, and that someone is us. We are free radio. We are always there. We are broadcasters. Visit wearebroadcasters.com for radio to 52886 to learn more. Furnished by NAB and this station. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. Don't worry about your furnace on the coldest days of the year. Talk with West Mechanical, your independent train dealer, about replacing your old inefficient furnace with a train comfort system. Today, find them at westmechanical.net. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. CBS News Brief. The House Committee investigating the Capitol riot is wrapping up. CBS's Catherine Herridge on what happens now. There are new reports the House January 6th Committee is preparing to recommend criminal charges against former President Donald Trump. The select panel is meeting publicly for the last time Monday. 
Elon Musk suspended several journalists' Twitter accounts two days ago. Now, after a Twitter poll, he's decided to let them back on. Our Meryl Rubin with more. He suspended the accounts earlier this week after he accused a journalist of endangering his family by sharing his location in real time. He posted the Twitter poll last night and shortly after midnight reinstated the accounts. Starbucks workers across the country are on strike as they continue their efforts to unionize. All the workers that are out here were scheduled to work through this weekend and we're deciding we're not going into work. More than a thousand baristas at 100 stores are taking part in the second major strike in a month. CBS News Brief. I'm Stacey Lynn. Because there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the U.S. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Downey here with you this Saturday morning. You know, we talk a lot about, especially with our clients, when we're sitting there talking about asset allocation and where to put our money and (coughs) changes in the markets. And we do the Morningstar style box a lot. And there's nine little squares in the box. And then the top end, you've got your large companies that are over $10 billion in size. And the middle mid caps are between two and ten billion. The small companies are less than two billion in size. And then the upper right hand corner, you have what you call your growth stocks, which typically we describe as stocks where companies are putting most of their money back into the companies for expansion. And on the left hand corner, you have your value stocks, or what we call your dividend paying stocks. And um, those upper right hand growth stocks have been dominated in the last 10 or 15 years by what we call the FANG stocks. The, uh, uh, but we've seen that investors are calling a timeout. And some investors, this year's route in the high-flying tech stocks, which is what we're talking about, is more than a bear market. It's the end of an era for a handful of giant companies such as Facebook, parents made up meta platforms, Amazon, etc. Those companies, along with Apple, Netflix, Google, parent alphabet are known as the FANG. So you got Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, and Microsoft. Usually we add in and, and Microsoft at the end. They've led the move in the digital world and helped power a 13-year bull run. But history shows that market leaders of one era almost never dominate in the next one. And there are early signs that a shift is already underway. Growth has slowed and evaporated for Netflix and Meta, Meta, which, while the sheer size of Amazon, Apple, and Alphabet, means that they are unlikely to provide the huge returns in the future that they did in the past. So if indeed it's the end of a cycle for these companies, where are we heading? Well, the outbreak of coronavirus pandemic in early 2020 rocked the whole stock market. After a blink and you missed it, plunge indexes came roaring back. Large-cap technology stocks, including the fangs, led the way as lockdown consumers ordered goods from Amazon, subscribed to Netflix to watch Tiger King, and spent hours scrolling through Facebook and searching for on, for, on Google using iPhones. But investors are reassessing their long-term potential now that societies have reopened. Higher interest rates around the world have dampened risk appetites. And one of the biggest draws for investors has been the supercharged growth rates that technology companies offered. Now the growth stocks look more pedestrian. Superior sales growth, the characteristic most associated with large-cap tech stocks, has vanished, at least for this year. Goldman Sachs strategists wrote in November that the bank's strategists predict sales growth of 8% for mega-cap tech stocks in 2022, well below the 13% growth expected for the broader S&P 500 index. And while Goldman does expect tech companies to deliver faster sales growth than the benchmark next year, and in 24, the gap is much smaller than the average has been in the past decade, according to Goldman Sachs. So Meta shares, for example, shed a quarter of their value in one day in October, after Facebook's owner's sales forecast for the fourth quarter came in at the low end of analysts' expectations amid a slowdown in the advertising market. Amazon.com slumped 7% a day later after projecting the slowest holiday quarter growth in the firm's history. For example, the past stock market stars, the example of the past is sobering. Cisco Systems, Intel Corp leaders in the dot-com boom of the late 1990s have never climbed back to their highs that they reached in 2000, while it took the NASDAQ 100 index 15 years to surpass its 2000 peak. 
And Apple, which is the world's largest company with a $2.3 trillion market value, has held up the best of this year's bear market, falling 20%. The stock has been bolstered by the company's cash pile of about $170 billion, marketable securities, and the demand for its latest iPhones. The other stocks in the FANG group have fallen more, ranging from Alphabet's 36% drop and 66% plunge for, of Meta. Even the declines that the group still accounts for are more than 10% of the S&P weighting, so subpar performance in coming years will be a big drag on the market. Basically what we're saying is the FANG stocks make up more than 10% of all the capital weighting of all the S&P 500 companies. And the pain in technology stocks looks set to continue for this next year. Analysts see profits for the industry contracting by 1.8% next year, compared with an expected growth of 2.7% for the broader U.S. market, according to data complied by Bloomberg Intelligence. And faced with higher cost of borrowing, rising inflation, investors are becoming more exacting in terms of which companies they're willing to back. Big capital projects or, or unproven technologies such as Meta's bet on the, on the metaverse haven't gone down well. A basket of money-losing tech stocks compiled by Goldman has plunged nearly 60% this year. And two years ago, we would have thrown a dart at the FANG dot board, dot board, dot board, and we would have pretty much come up a winner, right? But do we just blindly throw money into the ETF that just buys nothing but FANG? That's probably not going to work anymore. So something for you to think about. Markets change. Directions change. But what's doing well changes. And it's coincidentally, we sold a big share of our growth portfolios back in May of this year. When we first we went through some of those down markets early in the year, we moved more over to the value side, more of the dividend side. We've continued there. And, and we, when I talk about that Morningstar style box, it's interesting because we talk about the 13-year run that basically – made that the large-cap growth stocks look really good and value did okay, but not as good. And, and you know, it pulls a lot of people over there. They're saying, well, I want those 15% a year gains instead of those 9% a year gains. Um, 9% is not all bad, but if you added another five years on that, you'll find that the value stocks look very good. So that is something we sit down and evaluate with our clients on a regular basis. And talking about rates of return and stuff, we saw that Morningstar came out, and they see a safe retirement withdrawal rate, 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 rate draw, raising to 3.8% from 3.3%. So what are we talking about? People are retiring, wondering how much money they can take off their portfolios. And things are looking up for those that are close to retirement, according to Morningstar report that was published this last Monday. With the outlook improving for stocks and bonds next year, the percentage of nest egg that retirees can safely start withdrawing from savings was increased to 3.8% from 3.3% in 2021. That may seem strange with inflation still high, recession fears growing, and many portfolios down double digits this year. But with market battered, there are better odds that the future assets returns will improve, feeding into the rational that's higher withdrawal rate. So Morningstar's investment management's 30-year return forecast for U.S. large-cap growth stocks, that's back to the, that upper right-hand corner again, is now 0.9.65%. That's up from 6.25% in 21. And U.S. and grade bonds are expected to return about 4.5%. So that's less than the 3%, uh, the, the, you know, and, and up from the 3% assumption in 21. And long-term inflation is also risen to 2.84% from 2.21. So they expect inflation to be higher, but they're also saying you think you can withdraw bigger money. And the biggest lift in the withdrawal rate came from higher fixed income yields and cash yields. So that's one of the biggest, they think that there'll be more return on the fixed income side. And the safe withdrawals may be higher, but there's a rub. Rising interest rates plummet both stocks and bonds this year. So while the new rate is higher, the dollar amount they're taking from savings is likely to be lower. So a report uses an example of a retiree with an $800,000 portfolio split evenly between stocks and bonds. If that person used the 3.3% starting withdrawal rate in 221, they would have drawn about 26400 in the first year of retirement. If the retiree waited until October 1st to retire of this year, the balance would have been 640000 So it means that 800000 went to 640000 As a result, the starting rate would be 3.6% withdrawal or $24,420. Yeah, so the revamped uh, rule 
long-stand personal rule, uh, rule finance thumb, a starting percentage assets a retiree could safely take from a, a plan was, was 4%. In subsequent years, that amount would be adjusted for inflation. In reality, spending in retirement doesn't allow a straight line. Generally, spending is higher in early retirement years, drops as people move into their mid-70s and 80s, putting aside what can be high-end life costs. As well, most retirees don't increase their spending in, in line with inflation. Dialing back on cost of living adjustments can make a big difference. So, again, we can run retirement capital projections for people, our clients and, and, and prospects and what have you, and help people determine how much money they have, how much they're going to get from Social Security, how much they're going to get from their retirement plans, et cetera, and whether or not or how much they should continue to take out of their accounts. This is Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up Live here in KGMI. We're going to take a break a little quick early. We'll be back in a minute. I recently brought in my car for some long overdue repairs, something we can all probably relate too well with over this past year and a half. I was terrified about cost, but luckily the guys at Bellingham and Burlington Automotive prioritized repairs that couldn't wait and helped me decide what could. What a relief. Bellingham and Burlington Automotive, professional ASE certified techs and expertise in foreign and domestic vehicles. Learn more at BellinghamAutomotive.com or BurlingtonAutomotive.com. This year, you should give your family the peace of mind that comes with a comprehensive estate and retirement plan. Hello, folks. This is Elder Law Attorney Phil George. I'm the host of The Aging Hour right here on KGMI every Saturday at 1 p.m. and the founder of Safe Harbor Legal Solutions. Do you want to make sure your family doesn't have to go through probate if you pass? Do you want to avoid death taxes? Do you want to have a plan in place that will reduce or remove the burden on your family if something should happen to you? At Safe Harbor Legal Solutions, we practice a comprehensive and collaborative approach to estate and retirement planning that will help you set your family up for success. Don't let another year go by without getting your planning in order. Learn more by joining me for a free seminar in Bellingham on Saturday the 7th of January at 11 a.m. We'll be at the Spring Hill Suites by Marriott on Northwest Avenue. Space is limited, so reserve your spot today at www.safeharborlegal.com. That's www.safeharborlegal.com or by calling 360-746-7169. That's 360-746-7169. In the shop. Every time I turn around, my dang old catalytic converter is missing. You can go through Dagnum Box just to get a breakfast sandwich, and if you shut your car off for a second, that cat's going to be missing. Steve from Panacea, Kirk from Angler, Brian from Dr. John's, and Dan from Bellingham and Burlington Automotive. Catalytic converters, I can't count the number we've done in the last six months. Join them on In the Shop, 9 to 10 a.m. every Saturday on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. 12 Days of Christmas at Bellingham Coin Shop is back. Thousands of dollars worth of prizes, ranging from gold, silver, and even cash. All you have to do is stop by their store on Cornwall to enter. No purchase necessary. They'll be doing a live Facebook drawing every weekday at 6 p.m. for the winners. It's all courtesy of the Bellingham Coin Shop, and it's just in time for Christmas. Come find your hidden treasures by visiting us at the Bellingham Coin Shop on Cornwall Avenue in Bellingham and at bellinghamcoin.com. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life, and I had to start again. Just my children and my wife. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you this Saturday morning here on KGMI. Got questions for me? You can always give me a call. 360-733-1200. Well, you know, we talk a lot about inflation. (coughs) Boy. And talk about the use and abuse of inflation history. And um, George Santayana used to famously observed that those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. But allow me to offer a corollary. <clears throat> those who misremember the past may be led into error by misreading history. Case to point, many observers of the U.S. Federal Reserve a current, po- <coughs> current policy predicament, which is similar to the predicament that was faced other central banks around the world, I've drawn parallels to the problems with Chair, Chair Paul Volcker that the Fed faced in the early 1980s. The implication, if you buy the parallel, is that bringing inflation to heel will require much higher interest rates, a lot of pain, and probably a deep recession. And to be sure, parallels do exist. 
U.S. inflation over the last 18 months or so has been the highest since the Volcker era. The public has been greatly distressed by rising prices, as it was back then, making inflation the number one economic problem. And as in the 1970s and early 80s, the economy has been buffeted by a series of adverse supply shocks to food and energy prices. But comparing current Fed Chair Powell's task to Volcker's reveals that the differences are greater than the similarities, and all of them make Powell's job relatively easier. So let's start with the obvious, but not much ignored fact. Today's inflation problem in the U.S. is relatively recent, dating only from the spring of 21. In February of 21, the 12-month CPI inflation was 1.7%, but by the end of May, it had reached 5%. In contrast, when Volcker took the reins of the Fed in August of 79, the U.S. had already experienced nearly 15 years of high inflation. And he settled into his new office. The headline inflation was a stunning 11.8%, having been above 5% since April of 73 and more than 8% since September of 78. Higher inflation had become deeply ingrained in Americans' business plans and popular psychology. Surveys showed that people expected 8 to 10% inflation to persist for years. So that brings us to the second big difference. Inflation expectations today are remarkably well contained. In fact, they're nearly consistent with the Fed's 2% target for personal consumption expenditures PCE price index. Of course, expected inflation is higher than 2% in the near term because people can see that inflation is running higher right now. But over a 5- to 10-year horizon, the numbers cluster in the 2-3% to 3% range. And this matters a lot because inflation expectations tend to being, become embedded in wage settlements, interest rates, and household and business plans. And once they rise to high levels, as they had for the Volcker in 79, it can be hard to bring them down, at least for now. But, faith, but basically, Powell doesn't face that problem at this time. And third, consider the different microeconomic conditions under which Powell and Volcker embarked in their disinflation campaigns. In August of 79, at the start of Volcker's tenure, the U.S. employment rate was 6%. That wasn't so bad, perhaps, but by May of 80, after a short but sharp recession in 1980, it was up to 7.5%. But the Fed under Powell came late to the fight against inflation, for which it was justifiably criticized. But when it finally started raising interest rates in March of 22, the unemployment rate was at a historic low of 3.6%, and recent rates for job payroll creation of more than 500000 a month. To put that last number in perspective, the number of new jobs needed to hold unemployment rate steady is probably around seventy five to 100000 a month. That means the U.S. had a, a tight and become booming labor market in March of 22, and it still does. It also means that tightening monetary policy today can drive monthly job creation rates all the way down to the 0 to 100,000 range and the unemployment rate up to 4.5% or so without causing terrible hardship. And if the Fed can achieve their outcome, which will, which will, which will admittedly require still skill and some luck, observers will declare that Powell and his colleagues have achieved an economic soft landing and Volcker was afforded no such luxury. And finally, we need to mention that the most glaring difference of all, the Volcker disinflation effort, uh, uh, Volcker disinflation effort, uh, chopped 9 to 10 points off the peak CPI inflation rate, depending on whether you measure it by core or headline inflation, whereas Powell's focus is focused on core PCE, which peaked at 5.4% in February and March. Today's Fed wants to drive that number down to 2%, a drop of only 3 to 0.4 basis points or percentage points. There's no, it's no trivial task, but it's much lighter lift than Volcker Fed had. Furthermore, today's Fed is already getting some help from the supply side as disruptions to supply, supply chains ease. And for all of these other reasons, Volcker and his colleagues never gave a moment's thought to engineering a soft landing. It simply was not in the realm of possibility whereas Powell and his colleagues are dreaming about a soft landing every night. So quite a difference in where the two feds are and what their abilities are to try to make some changes. 
Okay, we're seeing that corporate America also, they're buying back fewer shares as this recession uh, fears rise. We saw U.S. companies are cutting back on their share buybacks to conserve cash in the face of economic uncertainty, which threatens to add another weight to this equity market's attempted rebound. The S&P 500 index uh, firms brought, bought, about, bought about $200 billion of their own shares during the third quarter, marking the slowest quarter for repurchase since the middle of last year and coming in roughly 25% below the level seen in late 21 and early 22. Uh, this is according to Bloomberg. The pullback chips away at what had been a major force in lifting the stock market over the past two years as corporations use surging profits to buy back their own shares. If the trend continues, it would create another headwind for the S&P 500, which is down about 16% this year. Um, the buybacks can be significantly driver for market returns, especially large cap sector. This will be another component of softer returns for next year. And the communication services industry was among the biggest decliners in share repurchase during the third quarter with companies such as Facebook, uh, seeing revenue drop as businesses scale back their digital advertising. Consumer discretionary and technology companies, including Amazon and Microsoft, also reduced their buybacks, outweighing an increase from the energy sector. And the moves uh, reflect mounting anxiety that growth will stall against because of the Federal Reserve's most aggressive interest rate hikes since the 1980s. It also signals an effort for prioritized spending, with companies seeking to protect dividend payments, which rose to 9%, those by 9% to nearly $600 billion over the last year. And buybacks are less disruptive because cost than the cut than the headcount. And when you're going to kind of a storm that you haven't seen before, you don't want to spend all your fuel before you can see the shore. With that, we'll say that we expect that we will continue to see some cutbacks. Well, you know, for Christmas, maybe we want to consider a rack of ribs. You know, if you're looking to avoid inflation's pinch, forget about ham and turkey this Christmas. Instead, reach for the ribs. Turkey has been hit by the worst bird flu outbreak ever. Limiting supply, sending prices soaring during the year-end holidays. It's also helped drive up the price of ham, the other traditional holiday portion, protein, I should say. As shoppers look for alternatives, meanwhile, cuts of pork that don't require as much processing, such as ribs, I've seen plentiful supply and falling prices. Chicken prices, while a lot higher in recent years, have also started to cool off. And businesses are preparing for sticker shock. The supplier for restaurants and grocery stores, for the first time, are promoting whole chickens to customers for holiday meals, in part because it pays. It says that ham prices have jumped 15% from the year earlier. They're also advertising a 10-bone pork wrap as a less expensive option. Ham prices rose in November for the fourth consecutive month, jumping 7.8% from a year earlier, according to data released Tuesday from the U.S. Department of Labor. Prices for the poultry category that includes turkey surged nearly 18%. The most recent increase came on top of uh, protein costs across the board during the pandemic as high fuel feed costs and labor shortages throughout the supply chain drive up prices. And while core inflation is slowing, Fluid inflation seems to be sticking around. So low, low supply is contributing to higher prices. Ham inventories in the U.S. cold storage facilities in October were at their lowest level for, the, for any month since, uh, since 2006. Pork production is also down 3.2% for the year through December 10th, according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture. At the same time, the U.S. has, spent, uh, has sent 9% more ham to Mexico, this is an estimated fifth of the total U.S. ham supply that's going across the border. And turkey supply is also low. Many have been taken out of the cold storage as bird flu kills millions of birds. Several of the most recent outbreaks have been in turkey farms in South Dakota and Iowa, uh, uh, further limiting availability. And to be sure, retailers are offering some discounts on center-of-the-plate portions such as ham and turkey in efforts to lure shoppers. That means consumers should be able to find relative bargains, especially if they're shopping this coming weekend. The price declines won't be as generous all the way through the, the period of time. So might be looking, like I said, maybe it's a great time to be out there looking at ribs. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up Live here on KGMI. We're 
going to remind you, don't forget about our live show. Or our live shows here, of course, on Saturdays. Uh, we will be here next weekend. Uh, not sure what the Sunday show will be on the 25th, whether it's going to be pre-recorded or uh, as usual or whether we're going to be having music. I had talked to the station, but I don't know. I have an answer to that. But don't forget our show tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. We have some really interesting market reports come out this week. We'll do an in-depth report on the Fed meeting that uh, came out Wednesday and, and bring you up to date on that information. So anyway, we thank you for being with us, and we hope that you have a great week. And if you got questions for us, always give us a call, 360-733-1200. Thanks for listening. Voiced in Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, a registered investment advisor.